Okay, are you ready? ready. I don't know that I am. It's one of those things where I, I know it, but I don't know that I can teach it yet. So you're the guinea pigs. We'll see if it goes well tonight or not. Tonight we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith it's called. Hall of faith, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews 11. So we could go through this like a normal person would. I know, that's no fun, is it? Well, for me, these first two verses are some of the most difficult verses I've ever studied, ever. And I still don't know that I fully understand it. And I don't know that anybody does. Because I've read many, many commentaries on it. And all of them, I'm like, no, no, no. You're going around it like everybody else does. So let me read them to you. And then we'll pray. <laughs> now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, we could simply just go at it and say, well, you know, these guys just believe God at his word and everything happened just like he said it was going to. And we could move on and move right through the chapter. I don't know that I can do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth we thank you for your love for us, wanting us to, to know, to dig, to, to examine, and to, and to let you teach us and bring us to, uh, to a better understanding of you. And I pray tonight, especially for myself as I give it out, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide and would make it clear and not muddy. We don't want that, God. But we do want to know more. And so we ask that you'd help in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. This is my problem. I've got so many cross-references and things I want to do. How to start so it's clear for you. Yeah, it rhymed. That's pretty good. It's a great start. Faith is the uh, substance. It's a substance. I would never consider faith a substance. Substance to me is matter, obviously. Stuff. Faith. Can't see it, can't touch it, whatever. So why does he say it like that? Why does he say faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And then they're going to go through several elders. We won't get through too many of them tonight, but he'll pick characters in the Bible to teach us some of the things that their faith did. So he explains what faith is, verses 1, 2, and 3. And then after that, he explains how it worked in these guys' lives. Simple as that. Okay. All right. Well... Um, he says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was, and so on. Okay, so we understand that everything was made by the word of God. He spoke everything into existence. We know that, right? So, what the writer here is leading us to, just like he does in John 1, the same thing. Jesus is the word become flesh, but starts off with the same idea. The word was in the beginning with God and was God. That the worlds are framed by this. Okay. So, Aaron, I'm already going to jump on that first video if you can. Some people like this stuff, some people don't. And I, and I know it's a Wednesday night and everybody's like, can you just... Pick me up so I can make it through, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If you don't mind, watch this and it'll help a little bit, I think. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the professor, not the animation. Cannot reduce information to physics and chemistry. Let me tell you a little story. We have a marvelous college in Oxford. I'm a fellow of Green Templeton College, and we put on lovely dinners. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes the seat arrangements are fixed. So you can't adjust where you're sitting. So this night, I was sitting beside a biochemist, and he asked me what I did, and I was foolish enough to reply. I said, I'm a pure mathematician. Oh, he said, how dreadfully boring. And um, I said, oh, but, but, but I try to make up for it by being interested in the big questions of life. He said, like what? Well, I said, like the status of the universe. Is it created or not? Oh, dear, he said, it's far worse than I thought. <laughs> he said, listen, the bottom line is this. I'm an atheist. I'm a reductionist. We're going to have an awful evening. We've nothing to talk about. And that's that. So what do you do with that? Well, I said to him, I said, you know, it's not all that bad, is it? I said, I mean, I'm fascinated by reductionism. I know at least three kinds. Which kind are you? Well, he wasn't quite sure. So uh, being a kind man, I helped him a little bit. And I said, uh, you're a methodological reductionist. You take a big problem, split it into little problems, solve the little problems, get insight onto the big problem. Yes, he said, I do that. Good, I said. We agree on that then. So he was warming up, called me by my first name, so we were getting on famously. <laughs> and then I said, I think you're an ontological reductionist. That you believe ontos, Greek being, you believe everything can be reduced to physics and chemistry. He said, that's right. That's my basic principle. So I said, let's have an experiment then. He said, what? Here at the table? I said, sure. So I picked up the menu. And he looked at it, and it wasn't very interesting. It said roast chicken, and not even in French, in English. And uh, I, 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 he said, what's the problem? I said, you're a reductionist. Everything in terms of physics and chemistry. I said, now look at this thing here, R, O. I said, those are marks, aren't they? But they're semiotic, Greek semion, a sign. They're marks that carry meaning. He said, that's right. OK, I said. Explain to me the semiotics of those marks in terms of the physics and chemistry of the paper and ink. And there was a silence. And then his wife said a bit loudly, get out of that if you can. <laughs> but he didn't try. I want to tell you what he said. Now, this is one of the world's top biochemists. He said, John, for 40 years I've gone into my laboratory thinking that that could be done. But it can't. I was so amazed, I backtracked. I said, oh, but science has only been going 500 years or so. I said, doesn't matter. You cannot explain the semiotics bottom up. You have to introduce an intelligence. And then it dawned on him that I wasn't bright enough to have thought of the argument. He said, where did you get that argument? <laughs> I said, I borrowed it from a Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> and I'm glad you laughed, ladies and gentlemen. It's interesting, isn't it? Just a few marks, and you instantly argue upwards and postulate mind. And we sit and look at the human genome. 
3.7, is it, billion letters in exactly the right order in a four-letter chemical alphabet? Sophisticated because the levels of information are contained not only in the linear sequencing but in the folding and in its relationship to the cell and all kinds of things. And we ask about its ultimate origin, chance and necessity. What? Chance of the laws of nature. We don't say that about print. What's the difference? Semiotics in both cases. Seems to me something very interesting is going on. And that semion, the evidence of meaning, our capacity. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, we are not only containers of text, we are producers of text. And that, to my mind, is great evidence that there is a transcendence beyond nature. The beginnings of supernature are already to be seen within you. Got it. He's fun to listen to. Now, the reason I point that out is because we know from the Bible, he keeps it simple for us. God keeps it very simple for us. That by God's word, we're made. Well, as we are getting better and learning more about science, we're discovering things like this. That truly, the word of God is our DNA. It's the longest word ever written. And each one of us has a different word. He knows us by name. Every one of you has your own DNA. It's specific to you. It's three billion plus letters long, and it's not sequenced in any other way for anybody else. It's better than a fingerprint. And you're written. You're written. You were spoken into existence. His word is you, and you are his word. It's amazing. Now, I want to jump to a cross-reference. It's the end of the world, okay? It's in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 19, 19 is actually where it starts. And this has baffled me as well. How do we get to this point? As a, as a race of humans, as human beings on this earth, believers or not, how do you get to this point? And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. Forever, atheists are telling us or have told us if God would just make himself real, if he would just make himself known, if we could just see him, touch him, I'm not believing in anything I can't see. Well, here it is, and our response is to fight him. How does a human race get to the point where they're not surprised at him peeking his head through the clouds and coming back on a white horse with all of us with him, who were raptured, it goes on to say, but that they're going to take up arms and fight him. How does Satan get our world and we as people to get into that mindset right now? You see? And here's my, here's my path that I see happening. And it came up when I was studying and looking into simulation theory. And I, I know it's weeds, and I, but it's important because it's Satan's tactics. I think you can learn from Satan's lies by what he's trying to conceal, you can learn more about God. What is it that is so important for Satan to get across to Eve, to get her to separate herself from God? What did he do? How did he lie? What was he trying to conceal about God? What was he trying to invoke in her? Those kind of things. Well, the same thing has to happen for this 19 to take place. Something has to happen. Well, God successfully, I believe, 
separated man from God with the evolutionary theory. But the evolutionary theory, that lie can only go so far because we're discovering just by this alone, there isn't a scientist in the world that doesn't understand it is far too complex. We don't have enough time. We don't have near enough time to make that theory work anymore. Now it's lost and it's obsolete, but we have nothing else to teach. Hold on to replace it. So we continue to teach it, hoping nobody looks and reads of what's coming up in the world and how the scientific community is all like, we got problems. They've already gone to, well, it must have come from, there's not enough time here because the sun would be that big and we'd have been in the sun and its orbit. So there's not enough time for that by the rate of decay. So it must have come from someplace that traveled on an asteroid and landed here kind of halfway baked. And then they're realizing there isn't enough time in the universe for this to take place. From our calculations, we can't make this happen. Well, the next theory that's coming up is simulation theory. And it starts off with the movie Matrix. You know, if you've ever seen that movie, ah, you know, every one of us is in a simulation and we're all in the same simulation. Some of you are just NPCs. You're just people in my, in my game that I have to go around, you know, or remove for the most part. And it's my simulation that I'm living in. And, and, and it goes on and on. Let me, let me, I'll give you the definition of it here. Simulation theory is the theoretical hypothesis that says that what people perceive as reality is actually an advanced, hyper-realistic computer simulation. And here's the key. Possibly overseen by a higher being. Well, okay. So that's the next thing. And, and you'd be surprised at how, how that is moving. It's moving very quickly. That makes sense to me. Evolution is not going to hold up. People are figuring it out. It's not working. We need to do something more, something that can actually explain what it is that we're going through, how everything that is made is made with things not seen. How did he know about atoms? How did he know about, you know, protons, neutrons? Uh, He's explaining things. How did he know about the DNA? It's all written. It's code. It's computer code. So evolution describes what we thought the hardware. Simulation theory describes the software, you know, the spiritual side of things, the spiritual being, you know. How is it that we can experience all these things, but there's nothing here. We've talked about this several times, that why doesn't my hand push through, you know. Why doesn't it go through? Why don't my atoms go through these atoms? Why do these molecules go through these? Why do my molecules stay here in this form and not just move in? And they actually do. They move from here to here and here to here. By the time I'm done, some of these molecules will bounce into me and some of my molecules have bounced into it. Doesn't make sense. It's weird. It's bizarre to us, you know. So simulation theory, right? The next thing that's come up, and I think it goes right along with that, because simulation theory still leaves us with a higher power, with a higher being. So it leaves us with God. Still leaves us with the problem of someone running it all, right? And of course, as Christians, I want you to leave here. If you don't understand anything tonight. You've, you've got the answer already. That's, that's the funny thing. We're, we're the ones at the top of the mountain watching everybody scramble to the top with all these different ideas and thoughts. It's like, oh, he, he, he didn't have to do all that work. He just told us the way it was. And we believed by faith. And here we are at the top. Now, we may not understand why we're at the top of the mountain or how it all works, but here we are and they're coming, you see. The next thing that's coming up is that Now that we understand there may be a spiritual thing going on here and we can't get away from the spirituality of life, we can't just do what he was saying that 
biochemist was trying to do. Everything's just chemicals and, and you can't reduce it to that. That perhaps Satan is actually our liberator from the oppressor, God. That's the theory. That's the idea. That's what's being whispered. That's the lie. That's how we get to 19. We're not surprised that there's a spiritual beating. We're not surprised that he's there, but we're on his side because we're going to fight that oppressor. And you can feel it rising, that spirit. The oppressor is what we would say, the righteous person, the good guy. Everywhere you go, if you are a person walking with Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, we will get into the text and we will get into these wonderful saints that walked by faith. Every one of them believed God and by believing God condemned the world and the world thought they were the enemy. You see, so you can see the progression. You can see how we can get to 19 now, how we can all stand here and say, let's go, Satan, you are liberated to free us from this oppressive yoke, you know, because that's the same thing he whispered to Eve. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He's oppressing you, Eve. It's the same argument over and over again. Now, why do I go down that? Because let's go back to our text. Faith, us believing, is the substance of the things hoped for. We by faith, believe what God's word says, although we don't understand it necessarily, though we haven't seen it, we trust it. And because we trust it, we're learning more and we're discovering more. Almost all science started with Christianity, all of it. Because there were folks that believed there was a God and diligently sought to find him and see him in everything. In fact, he says so in verse six. Skip down there for me, will you? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that's faith, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the scientists and those that believe him and trust him, like that man there and many others, are being revealed, hey, let me show you DNA. That's going to blow you away because it's really my word. And he shows those to us. Faith is the starting point. It's the beginning. It's everything for you and us to begin to discover God and to understand who he is and our relationship. And it's how this world works. When you're in your flesh, when you're not born again, when you're an unbeliever, you live based off of, and we talked about this, your five senses, right? And when you become born again, you get new senses. Faith is one of those senses. And it's how things function. It's how they work. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, by the faith that these elders had, they obtained a good testimony. A testimony from who? From God. He talks about them in a favorable light. They believe me. And God gives them favor. By faith, by this understanding, by trusting his word, and that everything was created by his word, that there is this higher being, that there is God, that he is revealing himself, that he does control all things, simulation or not, he's in charge. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. He can speak his word and it becomes us, it becomes matter. Did you show that second animation now? This is for those of you who don't like the philosophy side of things, like the mechanical side of things. You're a mechanic. You'll love this. 
This is a, a computer Using computer animation being... based on molecular research, we are now able to see how DNA is actually copied in living cells. Your living cells are doing this right now. You are looking at an assembly line of amazing miniature biochemical machines that are pulling apart the DNA double helix and cranking out a copy of each strand. The DNA to be copied enters the production line from bottom left. The whirling blue molecular machine is called helicase. It spins the DNA as fast as a jet engine as it unwinds the double helix into two strands. One strand is copied continuously and can be seen spooling off to the right. Things are not so simple for the other strand because it must be copied backwards. It is drawn out repeatedly in loops and copied one section at a time. The end result is two new DNA molecules. Thank you. I know. I know. And that is the word <coughs> replicating itself in you all the time. They say, what, by the, by the time you're uh, 35 years old, you, you were not the same person as you were in the sense that every one of your cells has, been, has died and been replaced. You're not even the same person you were when you started. Anyway, um, we're beginning to understand these things. I mean, just barely scratching the surface. And what do you bet inside each one of those little things is another thing that stretches from here to the moon. You know, that's just how God works. He goes, oh, you thought you figured it out. Watch this. Zzz, you know, here's another thing. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And that's going on constantly inside of us. It's an amazing thing. Okay. Some of the cross-references before we move on to verses, we're not going to get very far tonight. We're only going to verse 7. So just so you know, I'm not, we're not going to run through this quickly. In Romans chapter 10, how does our faith increase? How does the the substance of things hoped for increase in our lives. Well, it comes by the word, he tells us, tonight. This is how it functions. It's not mechanical, and I would not want to explain it all away, but this is how it happens in our lives. We get taught the word of God, and when we believe the word of God by faith, our faith increases more and more and more. So Paul tries to explain that as he writes to the Romans, beginning in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, you got to go and you got to preach the word of God. You've got to share the word of God so that their faith can increase. And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And here's the clincher. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So even though the word has gone out, not everybody believed Jesus even when he taught. Not everybody's going to believe you when you share the word of God. The word of God doesn't always create faith in other people. It is always accomplishes what it was set out to do, but with it, with it not mixed with belief, it doesn't produce anything in the person's life. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Although it may not produce, it's the only thing that does produce it. 
If you're not sharing or teaching or giving out the word of God, faith is not increasing. That's how it works. It's how it functions. It's how he's designed it to work. That's why he goes through an entire chapter of, look at these guys who by faith believed my word and these things happen to them because that's how it functions. Now, there is a, 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 a group in Christianity, maybe Christian, faith preachers. And they believe, and this is a twist on what I'm saying tonight, please don't misunderstand me, that you, because God spoke and things were created, that you can speak and things are created. And that's not what I'm saying at all. That's blasphemy. Um, it's not that the word was spoken, it's that God spoke it. <laughs> That's the difference. I can speak the word all I want, but it doesn't create anything for me. Okay. Um, but, but that is how it works. That is how it works. As he describes all these things that happened to these guys and gals who believed God at his word and by faith moved without knowing or seeing or having any reason to other than God's word, it happened in their lives. It's not commanding God, it's following the instructions of God is what faith is. Okay, Faith is simply following the instructions of God without ever seeing the results, knowing that his results will happen by following his word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say... Did Israel not know? First Moses says, here's a quote, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That's us. It's the Gentiles. Isaiah was very bold, he says in verse 20. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest by those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. See, the word of God goes out. And if it's not mixed with faith, it doesn't produce in your life. But the word of God that is received by faith and applied does produce in your life. We are in a constant state of decay. Our world is in a constant state of decay. It's falling apart. Um, we're falling apart. We're falling apart before we came to Christ. When we came to Christ and by faith, believed his word, and we began to put his word into our life, we arrested that state of decay. We stopped that decay in our life. His word tells us so. And he began to regenerate us, conforming us into the image of Christ. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, you are a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have become, all those are old things. This is new. I'm regenerating you. You were in a state of decay. You were going to rot all the way down to nothing. But you stopped that by believing on me. And you're a new creation in Christ, and I'm building you back into the what you were. He wanted to do that for us. He wants to do that for the world, but some believe and some don't. Some mix it with faith and some don't. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, he begins, Jesus begins to share about faith again. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If you had more faith, you wouldn't be doing that. If you believed my word and mixed it with faith, this wouldn't be a concern. You'd be seeking after the kingdom of God and all these things that you're worried about would be added to you. It's how it works. There's no other way to work it. There is no other way to operate what God has put us in and how this whole creation exists and works and functions. It's only by faith. I have to seek him. I have to seek his kingdom. And when I do that, everything else gets taken care of. But I get so distracted by the menial, by the, by the small things, by the things he's already told me and promised me that he'll take care of. I don't think he will. It's a lack of faith. And I begin to worry about these things. Now I'm not doing. And then these things don't even take place because I've got my hands on them now. Therefore, do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and he means by that is the unbelievers worry about that stuff, not believers. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That verse 33 is a verse that needs to be received and believed and used by faith. When I do that verse 33, it works. When I don't do that verse 33, it doesn't. I don't command God. I don't control him. I'm not his puppet master at all. But he gives me instructions as to how to live my life. And when I follow those instructions, my life is lived. When I don't, it's not. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 8. Jesus runs into the centurion who wants his servant healed. And this is one of the men that don't make it into the hall of faith, but we're going to add him tonight because Jesus makes a comment about his faith. It begins in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I know that you can work outside of the dimensions and the physical and the things that everybody else is worried about. I know who you are. I know you're the one that framed the entire creation with your word. You don't have to go anywhere. You could just speak it here and it happens there. Jesus loves that. Loves it. I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Exclamation point. You don't see exclamation points after Jesus' words very often. He's like, you know, anybody watching this right here gets it. I hope we get it tonight. When we talk about prayer, it's this. I don't have to go to Africa. I can go to Africa. You should go to Africa. You, know, you need to go back to Africa eventually sometime. You know, Maybe, I don't know, whatever God's will is for your lives, whatever. 
But we can have an effect here because Jesus can do all these things outside. I, by faith, pray. I don't move the hand of God, but I certainly, if it's within his will, by faith, I ask for things. I ask for things for others. I don't ask amiss for myself. I ask for others. I know that he can do that. I don't have to go there. And Jesus, I, I don't have to be there to witness it happen. All I have to do is sit here in the back of this corner room with some brothers and sisters or by myself in my car and pray and ask, God, please bless so-and-so or minister to so-and-so. And I know that because I'm praying by faith, you can do that. It's a huge thing to grasp. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, a wonderful verse to memorize. It's very short. I love short verses to memorize. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul begs the Corinthians, please walk by faith and not by sight. That's how we walk as Christians. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. You can say it 12 different ways. The Christian is to walk by faith and not by sight. I do not go by what I see. I do not go by my circumstances or what I feel around me all the time. I walk by faith. Faith in God. Faith in his word, faith in his plan, faith in how things work and function. I believe him. When Genesis tells me that he made everything by speaking it into existence, I believe it by faith. And because I believe that, my faith is increased. Faith is the, uh, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the elders obtained a good testimony. Do you want a good testimony in your life? I don't want to be... I mean, I will be whatever God lets me be or wants me to be. I don't need fame at all. I don't care if anybody knows it. I want him to know it, though. I want to be in the unwritten hall of faith. I pray this all the time. God, I want, in this arrogant prayer, probably, I want to know you better than anybody in the whole world has ever known you. I know. Better than Abraham, better than Noah. I can ask, can I? I want to know him better. I want to be able to understand better than anybody's ever understood. It's not arrogant. I just want to know him better, you know. And by faith, that takes place. Um, okay, now we're going to move through the guys here. I'm trying to gauge my time here. Sorry, let me look here. Okay. All right, verse four. Our first person, he begins at the beginning, thank goodness, and works his way through all these people. By faith, Abel. Abel was the son of Adam and Eve. Offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain was another son of Adam and Eve. Through which, this sacrifice that Abel offered, through which he, Abel, obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he he being dead, still speaks. Abel's life, although he was killed by his brother Cain, we'll read the story here in a minute, obtained a testimony from God himself saying, that's what I want to see right there. And even though Abel got killed, he's still a living testimony in the sense that we can now read about Abel's sacrifice and say God was pleased with that and was not pleased with Cain's. And that's what made Cain so upset that he killed his brother. Let's read. If you turn to Genesis chapter 4, we need to read about these guys to understand the story. 
We already know that animal sacrifice has been introduced as the covering for sin. That's why Adam and Eve were wearing the animal skins, the fig leaves, the plants were not going to suffice. And so animal sacrifice was introduced. Apparently Abel understood this and Cain did not. Now here's the thing. Cain gave God what he thought was or figured God should be pleased with. I didn't give him the first fruits of my animals, and I didn't trace the first fruits of my plants for an animal, but the first fruits of my plants, my, my fruits, that's good enough. This is the first fruits. I'm giving you the first of what I made. And in doing so, he tells God, I'm not going to give you what you've asked me to give you or do what you've told me to do by faith, believing God's word. I'm going to give you what I think you should take. Both are sacrifices, both cost, both were the first. One was accepted, one was not. We'll begin in verse, uh, let's see. Well, right away, we'll just do verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. He's the firstborn. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Look, we made a person. <laughs> then she bore again. I thought that was weird. <laughs> you know, you know, never seen that happen before. I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. Two separate jobs. One's a farmer, one's a rancher. Ranchers are better than farmers. Just kidding. Um, Both are necessary and wonderful. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the first or of the fruit of the ground uh, to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, God gives him a chance here. Why are you angry? You imagine just having conversations with the Lord? I mean, we kind of understand Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day and then never being able to walk with him in the cool of the day again, but they're talking still. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, uh, do, not, do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desirous for you. But you should rule over it. Cain, rule over your sin. Quit being angry, quit being stubborn, quit being prideful, and just do what I asked you to do. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's Where is Abel, your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's probably why we don't want to use that phrase very often because you're Cain then at that point. You're quoting Cain. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And he goes on to continue to punish him. This is the testimony that's spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. Cain could have purchased a lamb with the proceeds from his fruits, from his crops, but he didn't. He gave him what he thought. It's a lesson for us. God has prescribed the way he wants to be worshipped and how he's to be worshipped. I cannot come to God many different ways. 
This is the same problem. We think it's just about Cain and Abel. No, this is about Jesus Christ and every other religion in the world. I can only come with the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That is the prescribed method that God demands for the propitiation for sins. Sin cannot be forgiven without that blood. You may, with good intentions and sincerity of heart, offer up whatever Buddha gives you, whatever Hinduism gives you, whatever all that Islam gives you, whatever. It's not what I said I wanted. It's got to be Jesus. It has to be. He who has the Son has the Father. He who does not have the Son does not have the Father. You cannot come any other way. Do you want to obtain a good testimony with God? You want to talk about how you walk by faith? I've come to Jesus. I stand for Jesus Christ and believe on Jesus Christ and that the cross is the only way the world gets saved. That's it. I stand there. I'll never be moved from that. We'll never be moved from that. We obtain a good testimony that way. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And here's the quote. It was not, he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch's going to be used probably later on. Everybody sees death once apparently, and he didn't get to see it yet. So maybe he's one of the two witnesses in Revelation. We don't know. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is, Enoch, before Noah, before the flood, before the great catastrophe, the great tribulation that comes upon the whole earth and God floods it, which he's never going to do again. It comes with fire next time. But before that happened, he took Enoch who walked with God and was pleasing to God and removed him and he never saw the death. But this isn't the only scripture we use for the rapture, but it's one of them. See, many people try to put us, church, as Noah. That he's going to hide us in an ark and protect us in the tribulation, through all the trials. No, 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 no. that's Israel. That's 144,000. That's those believers. That's them. It's, that's them. Enoch is us. The great testimony that Enoch had was that he believed God and trusted God. He walked with God. What, God was just pleased with, the, with his life. So we've got the, it's a, it's a sequence that's unfolding before us. First, you've got to have the blood sacrifice, and then you walk pleasing to God, and then you're removed. And you're taken home to be with the Lord. In verse 6, we've discussed, but we're going to get into it a little bit deeper. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It seems obvious you can't come to God unless you believe that he exists, right? But that is the order of things. You cannot please God without faith. Faith is believing that he exists. And you diligently seek him. And then you please God with that faith. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. It may be hard for a Wednesday night study to go over stuff like this. I mean, as long as we're here, let's dig a little. Slap ourselves in the face, wake up a little bit, and let's get into it then. And see what happens with this night of seeking the Lord and paying attention, saying, oh, I'm getting some stuff I've never got before. I'm, I'm understanding more than I've ever understood before. Little steps like this, you know. 
we're coming to a time next week where we celebrate the word becomes flesh. I mean, this doesn't this tie perfectly? It means a whole lot more than what we think it means. And we could dig a whole lot more into it, can't we? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. By the word, the worlds were formed and they framed themselves by God's word. He created all things. I mean, it's amazing, the connection here. And when he says, my word will never pass away, means a whole lot more than this Bible now, doesn't it? Everything is created by his word. He says, you think you can avoid my word? Where are you going to go? The drywalls made with my word. Every atom and substance that you're sitting on or are or breathe or whatever you do is my word. It's never passing away. You can't avoid it, no matter what. It's amazing. And he is talking about the scriptures too, but you couldn't get past it. So God took him before he died. Verse 7, he moves on to Noah. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Some people believe that's rain, like it may have never rained on earth before then, because it says that everything was watered by the mist, came up from the ground, a mist, and it never rained before. That's what they say. So imagine God's coming down and says, you're going to need to build a boat because it's going to rain. First question, (laughs) what's rain? You know, it's like the mist, but really bad. And nobody likes it when you're out in it. We need it sometimes, but we don't want it landing on us all the time. It's rain. Maybe, maybe not. Warned of things not yet seen. Could be, well, just speaking of the catastrophe. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, this was impactful for me for this study, as I, I've gone through this a couple times in my life, but this was the most impactful verse for, this, for tonight. Just by Noah believing what God said and he begins to build an ark was an affront to the world. What are you building? They ask. And they wouldn't have cared if he said, I'm just building a really big boat. It's why are you building the boat? Because of your sinful lifestyle. Because God said he's going to judge the entire world and everybody in it's going to die. And we're to build a boat to get on it so that we, the ones who believe in God and trust in him by faith, are protected from what's coming to you. Just you believing in Jesus Christ and the cross is condemning the world. And they feel it. When you say, why do you believe in Jesus? If you tell them why you believe in Jesus... Because your sins need to be paid for. You're going down a road that's going to make them mad. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about yourself or not. They're not stupid. They can read between the lines. What sins? Well, I had lustful thoughts. So what do you say? And there it is. Lustful thoughts condemn me to hell. They do. And because we stand with Jesus, we condemn the world. Guys, every one of us in this room is a Noah. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a Noah. You stand believing. We have never seen a tribulation like what's going to come on this earth. We've never seen a rapture except for Enoch. You know, he's kind of a a picture of one. 
We're, we're told in the scriptures about what we're going to avoid, what's coming upon this world, what we're preparing for, that there is a hell and everlasting burning and separation from God because of our sin. We know all that. We stand for that. We show up here at night on Wednesday night and we study a Bible that talks about that stuff. You are going to be seen as a Noah who condemns everybody. Noah, for a hundred years, builds this boat. It takes him a hundred years to build it. And it says that he was a preacher. I don't know when he did it or how often he did it. Maybe it was a daily thing he did. Maybe it was from the point of the boat. I'm telling you, repent. I'm telling you, believe God. I don't know what he shared, but he shared the gospel. I'm sure he shared the truth with them. You need to believe on God. Maybe much like Jonah. He was divinely warned because God had seen him as someone who was righteous in his eyes. If you want to turn your Bibles here to Genesis 6. I didn't have you read about Enoch because it's like a single verse, but you can read it if you want to. Genesis 6 tells us the story of how he gets it all laid out for him. Kind of. We'll start in verse 1. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw daughters, the daughters of men, and they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. In his days shall be 120 years. I can't let him live any longer than that. No more of this 900-year stuff, Methuselah, you know. 120 is as much as I can take to watch him fall and decay into sin. There were giants on the earth in those days. We're not going to get into that tonight. And also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those who were mighty men, who were of old men of renown. Here's the point. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord, sa- and, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now that's not just, ah, oh, shucks, I thought it would work better than this. It grieved him. He loved them. I don't want to see this. This is not what I made you to do. This is not my intent. This isn't your best life. You think it is, but it's not. I hate what I'm seeing. I can't let you live any longer. You're just producing more firewood for hell. Every child you have is being introduced into this garbage. Guys, we're there. We've reached this point. He says, as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is coming very soon because what we see here is happening now. The decay in our world, every intent, every thought of man. So clear. We get, even ourselves, a little bit like Lot sometimes. I'm not calling you Lot. I don't want to offend anybody. But we're so in it sometimes, we're so surrounded by it that it is hard for us to distinguish and still feel that high sensitivity to sin. Lot walked around, he knew everybody was doing what they were doing. He knew everything was going on at nighttime. In fact, he went into his house, he locked the door, he just waited for Monday morning, and then he went out and did business again. He knew what was happening. It wasn't until these angels showed up that he was like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so 
the, the sensitivity came back to him. You know, we can feel the same thing sometimes. We forget that just 10 years ago, we were fighting against homosexual marriage. We're past that now. Well, it's just, it is now. Let me know about it. No. It's absolutely an abomination to God. All of it has been, always will be. But we got desensitized to it. And now it's in the schools. And now it's okay. And the Christian, I remember the Christian teachers, I would pray with them, right? Probably over here. Oh, I don't know about teaching evolution. We're so far from that. I don't know if I can stay in the system and teach evolution. I can't, I'll try to, I'm going to sneak in creation too. And that was the big thing that the Christian teachers were praying for. It's a whole new level now, what they're asking. We give it, oh, evolution's done. That's just a no-brainer. I can't even talk about the Bible or Christianity anymore. Now I'm praying that I don't have to have that talk with them about sexual identification. It's just progressing into a more serious decay Every intent. And we've talked about this. The more you take God's word and believe it in your heart and apply that beautiful regenerative word of God into your life, how it's bringing us back to the sensitivity we're supposed to have, to the understanding, to the holiness that's really the goal, not the holiness we've made, but God's holiness. We're like, oh my goodness, you know, how far we become more of a contrast to this world. The church is just slowly but surely becoming desensitized to all these things. It's happening just like this, just like Noah, until finally there was only eight people. Eight of all the people on the earth that he's going to put on this boat and save and start again. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and bird of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Everything had become perverted and changed and twisted. Nothing looked like it was supposed to. So far from it. And I think that's the end of tonight's teaching, but let me close with this. Um, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget. The world is in decay. It's becoming worse and worse as more of the perverse is accepted and a new level of perversion is introduced. It's always a progression. It never stops. It never ends. I, in fact, I had a conversation with someone just recently about, well, I don't know. I can, you know, the alphabet, you know, the, the homosexual alphabet thing. I can't even name all the letters now because they've added a plus and a Q and a one and a, other things to it. I can't keep track of it all. It was something that as a person they had been accustomed to maybe a couple of those letters being taught. A couple of them. And the other stuff was just California and the other coast. You know, don't have to worry about that here. We just have to worry about these letters over here. These two letters are the ones that are being taught here. Guys, it's a school. School teaches the alphabet. They may start with the two letters, but they were going to go all the way through. 
They will not stop. It's all the same thing. It's all the same doctrine. It's the same thing. You, you would never teach your kids A and B and say, oh, I'm not teaching you the rest of the alphabet. They're going to teach the entire spectrum, the whole thing. And it must be learned and it must be accepted. Or you don't pass. Or you don't pass. The world is in decay, becoming worse and worse as more of the perverse is accepted and a new level of perversion is introduced. Your trust, my trust and belief in Jesus' death on the cross for the sin of the world is my, is our stance as condemnation of the world and its behavior along with my behavior. I'm condemned too. That's why I came to Christ. I'm not excluding myself from it, but because I know I need a Savior, that must mean they need a Savior. They'll figure that out. With that faith, our faith, my decay, our decay is arrested and regeneration begins and I am conformed into the image of Christ. I'm a new creation. I just encourage you tonight. You're not on the wrong path. You're on the narrow path. You're on a path less traveled, unfortunately, but it is changing you and it is making you and changing you into the image of Christ. Can you imagine what Christ felt on the cross as the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were thrust upon him? The weight of all of that. And at one point in time, he died for all of those sins at the same time. We're feeling just a a small portion of that pressure as we stand with Christ in a lost and dying world. Now, we're not to become hermits and hide. We're to be bright lights like Noah. Maybe they won't get on the boat. Maybe they don't understand or won't hear me, but they will. Well, they will hear. I don't know if they'll receive or not. I don't know if they'll mix it by faith, but that will be shared by my mouth, by all of our mouths. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this hall of faith. As we go through all these great men who walked with you and women that walked with you, and we see them believing you, uh, because you said so, because your word said so, not because they could experience or see or feel or touch any of the outcome, but they believed your word. You told them ahead of time. You gave them a little prophecy for themselves, and they believed it and acted, God. I pray we'd all be listening to your Holy Spirit, being led and guided by that. And by faith, we would operate in this world like we're supposed to, believing your word above all else. Our actions lining up with your word above all else. And then seeing the fruit, the beauty that comes from obeying you, God, trusting you. Well, we want to know you better than anybody's ever known you. We want to understand you better than anybody. And with that, we want to produce fruit better than anybody's ever produced fruit, God. We want to be a prolific fruit-giving tree, God, of you. Rooted in your word, branches spread out wide, God. Help us to be a blessing to this world. They so need it. Some will receive, God. Help us to see those people and to share with them and to bring them to you. We pray for a wonderful Christmas season, God, as we begin to get prepared and celebrate your advent, the coming. The word become flesh. So thankful that you did. Bless these folks this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.